So, <clears throat> what would convince you that Jesus is truly God? That's, uh, this is kind of the sermon series we're in right now. Convinced. What would convince you that Jesus is God? Some of you guys have been convinced. Maybe when you were really young, or maybe when you were in high school, or college, or, or later in your life, that Jesus is truly who he says he is. Um, but I think there can be some confusion in that for people who are looking in. Um, what convinced you that happened? For, for people who are looking in, I think when they see a Christian and they can be jealous of the fact that they have faith, um, they're jealous of the fact they have faith because they think that person's a Christian because everything makes sense to them. At some point, all questions were answered. At one point, God completely made sense to that person. And that's not the case at all, right? If you're a Christian in this room, and maybe you feel like you have to pretend like that is the case, that you don't have questions anymore, right? That you don't struggle with doubt at times, right? That there's times when you wake up in the morning and you have a hard time getting going, right? That that happens not only to the person who is not a Christian, but also the person who is a Christian. And so, so what would make somebody, like the song said earlier, be so crazy as to say, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything I've got, I've decided to follow Jesus. What would make you do that? Uh, for some of us, maybe all of us, we have to remind ourselves often why we first made that bold move. Um, but for you who perhaps are here and, and you still, you're still not convinced by this, I encourage you to ask somebody who is and just say, what made you convinced? Because I think, I think for a lot of us, we just, it's super scary to ask the question. And sometimes it's scary to answer the question. It's scary to ask somebody, so... <laughs> So what made you convinced? Right? What made you want to give your whole life to this thing, right? Because, because this seems too big, too large, too crazy. And so for the last couple weeks, and then this week and next week, we're looking at the story of, of some people in the Bible who became absolutely convinced that Jesus is God. Absolutely convinced. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Mary Magdalene, and, and if you weren't here, the story of Magdalene is simply this. She was this woman who was incredibly afflicted. She had seven demons. She was crazy, and Jesus freed her from that. And so it wasn't a point in her life where she was sitting down studying all the ancient Grecian scrolls of philosophy and go, oh, I think Jesus is the Logos. No, she met Jesus, Jesus freed her, and her life was just changed. And so if someone sat down with Mary, and they said, why are you convinced that Jesus is God? She would be, because I was crazy, and now I'm not. I was in absolute bondage. I couldn't control my thinking, my emotion, my feeling, the way I acted. I would just snap. And all of a sudden, I met Jesus, and Jesus changed me. And then the rest of her life, she's learning about who this Jesus is. 
Okay, it's not that she had perfect knowledge. All of a sudden, Jesus freed her, and she's like, ah, right? I, I'm all-knowing. No, if you're a Christian, you're, you're not all-knowing. You've been changed. And so the next week, we looked at these, these two people on a, walking on a road, the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus started walking alongside of them. And they had just seen Jesus die. They were his followers, but after he died... They were confused because they'd put all their hope in him. And then as they walk with him, and they were kept from seeing him, he started explaining all the words of the Old Testament and showing what had pointed to him. And so, so why did they come to faith? Because of the power of remembrance, right? That they remembered both what Jesus had said before he died and what he fulfilled afterwards. And so then when he broke the bread with them, their eyes were opened, and they were so impressed by the fact of who Jesus was. Um, what would convince you? Today, we're looking at a character. Uh, we don't know his name. He's just the centurion, um, the executioner who put Jesus to death. And what convinced him? What I, I really love about the story of the centurion is that the centurion has no previous knowledge of the Jewish religion. Assumably, he's Roman. Uh, he's a... Usually centurions came from wealthy families, and so then they, they came and they were put in charge of a hundred men. And this is, a, this is a guy who is likely from somewhere else closer to Rome, and then he's been transplanted to Jerusalem. And so he just drops in, and, and if you come into a place that's totally foreign to you, there's a lot of things that are just normal that aren't normal to you. Um, and, and to help you understand that, I thought of some things that um, that are normal to us that probably aren't normal to other people who aren't from the Northwest. <clears throat> um, if you aren't from the Northwest, it's very challenging to say the name of a lot of things around here, right? Like Klahauya or Sequim. It's not Sequim, it's Squim, Right? or Suquamish, or Puyallup, right? Or Klickitat. I don't even know if I said that right. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you are from the Northwest, you are familiar with the migration and spawning habits of salmon. You've seen that happen, <laughs> right? If you're not from the Northwest, that's crazy, right? You're like, oh, yeah, they, have this, they smell it, Right? <laughs> If you're not from the Northwest, it's crazy to think of 250 cars going on a boat together, going through the water. If you're, if you're in the Northwest, you're familiar with that, right? If you are from the Northwest, you think you know what good coffee is, even though people around the world have been drinking it for centuries longer than you have. <laughs> and they don't put milk in it. Okay, right? Isn't that crazy? So, if they, I remember I was in, when I was in Basque Country a couple years ago, and I was drinking their coffee, and they're like, "How do you like it?" And I was like, "Well, it's, you know, it's not quite as good as what we have in the Northwest." <laughs> he was insulted, and I have no idea why. But there's those things that if you if you come here and and you just think it's not like if you get invited to the beach, you naturally bring a heavy down jacket with you. And that, and that only happens if, if you're from the Northwest, right? If you were anywhere else, you get invited to the beach, you're wearing your bro tank. Like, you, you go, you lather up. 
here, you know you live in the Northwest if every single time the sun comes out, you get a sunburn. Right? That, and so these things, it, it's funny, but if you, if you come here, uh, you bring an umbrella, you know? And if, if you bring an umbrella, we're like, what do you need that for? It's just a, it's just a little moisture in the air. Right? And that... And so, so you come, and the other thing, I was actually talking with a professor this last week, and he's not from the Northwest, and one thing he said that was very interesting was, he says, if you're from the Northwest, you assume that no one else is from the Northwest. He, he goes, if, if you are from the East Coast, when you introduce yourself to somebody, you say, We're, you know, who's your family? Because you assume you know their family. But if you meet somebody in the Northwest, you assume they're oh, you're from California, that's great. Because even if you're from the Northwest, like me, I asked where I'm from, and I'm still like the Philippines. Right? I was only there for two and a half years. But I'm not. And so you just assume that no, because part of that is, how many of you know someone who's in the Navy or works with one of the Kitsap bases here? How many of you guys, don't be bash raging. Every one of you know that, right? <laughs> don't play like you're not from the Northwest, right? <laughs> it just proved my last point. So, right, that if you are from here, there are certain things that you know. So this Roman centurion came from, he was an outsider. So there are things that he just, he didn't know, he wasn't familiar with. Same thing happens if, um, if you are raised in a Christian home, things that are just second nature to you, that, uh, that if you weren't raised in a Christian home, can be completely foreign to you. I remember when we started the Coffee Oasis, and um, and it, I remember having conversations that it was like mind blowing that people didn't know John three sixteen, right? Because even at one point in, in American history, everyone knew John three sixteen, but it was crazy to know this generation of kids who, who didn't know for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right, and those words I could just rattle off the age of three, right? That just came out. Uh, there were people that, when you mentioned the name of Jesus, they had no association to who Jesus was. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard for us who are in the church to realize that, right? As we drive by and you can see signs on the highway that say, Jesus loves you. And, and, and you know, a verse will spring in your mind, a story, the Gospels, that, that you're familiar with. If you're from Bremerton or Silverdale, 73% of people don't go to church here. They're not associated with any church. 73%. That's one of the highest in the whole nation, right? And so if they see Jesus loves you, what does Jesus mean? Have you ever thought about that? What does Jesus even mean to that person? It'd be like seeing Bill loves you, right? Who's Bill? And, and, and so what do they associate with that? And the reason why I share that is because when this centurion came to Jerusalem, he was unfamiliar with Jewish history. He didn't know that the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah to come. He wasn't familiar with their religion, their sacrifices, any of the expectation they had. Just completely didn't know it. And so what would convince someone who is such an outsider when he sees Jesus, who he's just killed, and says this is truly the Son of God. What would make him convinced in a short amount of time that this is the Son of God when he had no relation 
to Judaism, expectation of Messiah, any of that. Okay? And so if you're here and, and, and you don't come with a background at all, that when you maybe you hear Jesus and, and there's still a lot of missing pieces, or that's a name that's totally unfamiliar to you, this is a good story for you. Because <laughs> here's a guy that didn't have any familiarity, and he became someone who in a short amount of time put his faith in Jesus. So turn with me to Matthew 27. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one. We're going to be we're going to be knee deep in this for a long time. <clears throat> There's four parts to this story in the book of uh, Matthew, Matthew 27, where the centurion enters. The interesting thing is the centurion and and his cronies, right, the, the hundred guys that are, are under his command, they get a lot more airtime than Jesus in this story uh, in Matthew 27. And, and there's four parts to it. The first part is the centurion meets Jesus. The second part is that the centurion mocks Jesus. The third part is the centurion kills Jesus. And then the fourth part is the centurion believes in Jesus. So we're talking about, we're talking about a, a time frame here of just a couple hours. And, and him and Jesus' relationship looks like this. Meet him, make fun of him, kill him, believe in him. <laughs> That's, there's a lot, so there's a lot going on here. So literally what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read and we're going to talk through each part together. And uh, I'm excited. I... Truthfully, as, as I tried looking through the centurion's eyes, I just fell in love with Jesus all over again as I studied for this, and I hope it's the same for you. The context of this, starting in, in uh, verse 1, is it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. Larger context is that the, the Jewish leaders have been plotting for some time now to kill Jesus. And they, they get one of Jesus' own, one of his disciples, to betray Jesus. I don't know if you've ever experienced betrayal before. I don't know if you've experienced someone who you love, who all of a sudden turns on you. And this is what happens with Judas. Judas turns on Jesus, betrays him. They all come and they get Jesus. He's in a garden praying. And they grab him. They take him before the high council, right? And, and so he stands before a religious council, and they decide to put him to death. They don't have the authority to put him to death. And so what they decide to do in the morning, after he's, he's gone through this whole night ordeal, in the morning they then bring him to Pilate. Now, Pilate is the governor of the whole region, and Pilate has the authority if he wants to put Jesus to death. So, we're going to start in verse 11 here. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom... 
at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So there's a couple things we learned from this, from the centurion meeting Jesus. The centurion uh, being part of the the guard uh, would have been present here, would have been surrounding Pilate as Pilate made his his decision of what he was going to do with Jesus. The first thing he knows about Jesus is this, is that when Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus simply says, Yes, it is as you say. And, and this is really, really important because, because this is absolutely ridiculous to the centurion. And we know this, not because I'm making it up, but because the centurions use this phrase, king of the Jews, multiple times after this. Hold that in your thinking, king of the Jews, because this is what they're introduced to Jesus. This man thinks he's a king. Well, For the centurion, a citizen of Rome, who is king, right? Caesar is king. What is king? King is power, right? King is authority. King is domination. And this man has none of that. The audacity to say, are you the king of the Jews? And this man who has been already brought before the Jews and condemned to death, How could this man say, I am the king of the Jews? It's absolutely ludicrous. But Jesus isn't ranting. He's not mad. He's not getting upset. He's not trying to defend himself. And this is absolutely strange because all the things that established kingship in the eyes of this man, he's not representing And yet he says very simply, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. Every judgment that's brought against him, he says nothing about. And then, and then Pilate, who believes in the innocence of Jesus. This is incredible. Pilate believes in the innocence of Jesus. And so the centurion's boss believes that this man is innocent. And so what the centurion thinks is this. Okay, he might be crazy, right? Because he thinks he's a king of people that don't even want him. My boss thinks he's innocent, so 
And so he brings out another guy named Barabbas. And Barabbas is a, it says a notorious criminal. And so I think what Pilate's doing here is I'm going to bring out the worst guy. And, and they will see, obviously, when he's compared to this guy, right? This guy who's a murderer, right? Barabbas. And it says notorious. And so this isn't, this isn't a guy that you look at probably and think, okay, we want him to just roam in the streets again. Right? He brings him out, and, and they bring Jesus out. And he says, who do you want? And these people who Jesus has given his, his life for, I, I really want you to grasp this. This, this Jesus who a, just several days before, if not two days before, rode into Jerusalem and all these people who are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? This is the son of David. And then all these people are going, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify this man. Kill him. Not only has he been betrayed by Judas, been betrayed by his people, but then again, right? Everything is going against this guy. And the centurion is just watching it, right? Literally, it says that there's unrest in the crowd. So if you've ever seen a a riot police, that's literally what the centurion is doing at this point, right? Because they're going, crucify him, and they're getting crazier and crazier. The crowd is going nuts. And so Pilate, the only way he can respond is just by saying, I'm washing my hands clean of this. This is your decision. And so he says, well, the moment he says guilty, right? The moment he says, take him away to be crucified, he's given to the centurion and his men. And, and it was interesting because, <laughs> read this, this next part, uh, the whole next uh, four verses is completely dealing with the centurion and his men and the way they treat this man who calls himself the king of the Jews. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. So you have a hundred men. You have a hundred men gathered around Jesus at this point. It says they strip him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twist together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail! The king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took his staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. So what is going on? They give give Jesus to the centurion and his men. A hundred men, a hundred foreigners who come in are in a foreign place. They don't like the place. And here they have someone who's considering himself the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. And do you see how they, they held on to that? Oh, you think you're the king of the Jews. And so they bring Jesus, who has not said a word, right, other than, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. And they, they take him and they strip him. Imagine this. You have a hundred armed soldiers strip Jesus put a robe on him, give him a staff to mock him, right? To make fun of him. And then it says, and then, so they're mocking him. They're like, hail the king of the Jews, hail the king of the Jews. And this is a man who's already getting beaten. And they take his the staff, right? That they give him to pretend like he's the king. And they just start hitting him over and over and over and over again with it. And this is... <laughs> So you're the king of the Jews. 
What's going on in the centurion's heart? I have no idea. What would cause this man and his hundred, the hundred men under his charge to treat this man in that way? And we don't know. Right? As I thought, what, what causes people to be so cruel and brutal and mean? What caused the crowd to say, don't just put the guilt on us, but put it on our children too? Right? This is humanity at its worst. And God at its at his best. And this is amazing, right? And this is going to be the theme we see through the whole thing. And the thing at the end, which I believe is the conclusion, and why the centurion says, I believe this man is the son of God, because we see humanity at its very, very, very worst, and we see God at his very, very best, right? Oh, you're the king of the Jews, are you? And they're mocking him and they're being mean to him, and they're heaping their sin on him, and he just receives it. So they meet him, they mock him, and now they lead him away to be crucified. Starting in verse 32, it says, And going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of skulls, where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So before we proceed here, I want you to see how the label changes. So, so you see how the centurion's latched on to one phrase, king of the Jews. And now he latches on to another. The, the whole uh, way they refer to Jesus from this point on changes. Um, and you'll be able to see how that changes. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately they ran and filled the sponge with vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. And they said, leave him alone, let's see if Elijah comes. And then Jesus had cried out again, and in a loud voice he gave up his spirit. So he's met Jesus, he's mocked Jesus, and now he, he kills Jesus. After they have taken Jesus to the place where he will be crucified... Um, and we won't get into the the details of crucifixion. Um, They 
they mount him on this cross. And um, and if you're on a cross, you're absolutely exposed, you're vulnerable. Um, the only way to move is up and down, right, to, like, get air to breathe. And so, um, so you're actually absolutely exposed. And But what I want you to get from this is that um, as if people are walking by Jesus, um, there isn't there isn't a sense of pity. There isn't a sense of this man is dying. Um, they continue to hurl at him insults. And at this point, I think I think something begins changing for the centurion because this is no ordinary crucifixion. Um, That there, there is an amount of anger and bitterness and, and meanness, just human meanness getting expressed here that I have never seen before. Um, this man has not just been beaten, flogged to the point of death. He can't even carry his cross. But after he's put up on the cross... People are walking by him, saying, taunting him. Get this. They say, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Save yourself. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. In Matthew, you get early on, Matthew 4, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, and Jesus is tempted by Satan. And twice, the temptation goes like this. If you are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down so God can save you. If you are the Son of God. And that's the same taunt, that's the same mockery being used here. If you really are who you say you are, then do this. And so, so here, and, and this is good for us because we who say, I believe in Jesus, right? What would we be thinking if we were watching him die, right? And, and I, don't, I don't know where we would have been, but... I think at this point, you're with them. If you're not upset, you're also going, if you are the Son of God, do something. Save yourself. If you trust God, why isn't God saving you? And so the centurion's watching it. And so the language is changing from, from king to son of God here, right? And so then centurion goes, okay, I get king, I get how that works, and he's, he's, he's not acting like a king. But then, son of God, he's also not acting like, a, like a, I would expect a god to, right? The Romans had gods. And actually, even the son of God, a son of God, was, was something that was used in their language. But literally what that meant was a hero, right? Like, like their king, their Caesar, would have been considered a son of God, a son of God. But, but this is the difference, is the son of God, <laughs> The centurion's getting a big theological lesson here. Because as they're heaping insults on him, what is it? They're, they're talking about, right? You said you were going to destroy the temple and raise it up. You, you, you come to, if you're the son of God, you're making all these claims, but who are you? And, 
And Jesus, throughout this time, is saying very few things. But what he is saying is um, is completely unexpected. The first thing he says, as you look at these seven things on the cross, the first saying is this. Um, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And the centurion be like, I know what I'm doing. I'm killing you. That's what I do, right? I've claimed authority over you by killing you. That's the way that we do things. That's the way we claim power and dominion and show people we're stronger than them. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden things are changing because Jesus is saying something that, that shows that he, as weird as it is, he's on this cross, but he's showing that he's the one in control. How does that happen? He's the one's getting mocked, but he's in control. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He looks at the thief next to him, who also has been mocking him. And then the thief starts having a change of heart. And the thief says, remember me. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is not a man who's out of control. For Somehow, he's still the one calling the shots. He gets to hear him say, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. He's talking to his, his mother and John. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, the beautiful thing about this, and I don't know if the centurion picked up on this or not, but this is an Old Testament prophecy, and, and some people have thought that Jesus is actually reciting Psalm 22, Right? talking about crucifixion, right? Even prior to crucifixion even happening, right? And so Jesus is saying, my God, my God, not because at this moment he's forsaken, but because he's responding to the forsakenness of all humanity. <laughs> and so he cries out and he gives up. He gives up his spirit. So... What would cause a centurion to believe, to put his faith in a dead man? And this is, this is really profound. And this is where we get to, um, when we put our faith in Jesus, it's not because we understand everything past, present, and future. Okay? Because when the centurion puts his faith in Jesus, it's not, it's not because he... I don't even think he has an idea of the resurrection. <laughs> this guy is so brand new to faith. He's just like, this is the son. Of, and he's compelled. This is the son of God. So Jesus dies, gives up his spirit. And what you find here, it says, the curtain of the temple is torn. There's an earthquake. Um, people are raised from the dead at this point. Lots going on. I think all he gets is that the earth's darkened and there's an earthquake. And so, so what convinces him of this? I believe what convinced the centurion that Jesus was the son of God is wrapped up in him seeing the absolute worst 
of humanity and realizing his part in that and seeing Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Son of God, represent the absolute best of God. This week at community group, uh, I realized something new uh, for the first time as we read the story of um, uh, of Jesus' death and, and resurrection. And that was this. Uh, for centuries, the Jews had a practice called Passover. And they'd, they would take two lambs and they would send one uh, into the wilderness, a scapegoat, it got to go free. And it got to go free because the other lamb, they would, they would place their hands in it and they would, they would confess all the sins that they knew and then they would confess the sins they didn't know. And so they would, they would confess all the things they knew that, that they had done that was wrong. But then they would just say, God, and the things that we don't even know, take those things too. And so they'd place their hands on this lamb and, and then they would sacrifice it. And as we talked through this story at community group this week, I thought of all the things that you and I have that, that we don't know how to communicate. Um, we have some good things that we don't know how to communicate, but there's also things in us that we don't know how to communicate that aren't good things. Things we don't even know how to confess. Things we don't know how to heal because we don't even know that they're there. Things that we've been wounded by or are wounding others with currently. And, and we don't know how to access that, right? And so at this moment where, where Jesus is the Lamb of God, okay, follow me here, is that, that as they mock him, as they insult him, as they heap abuse on him, they are doing the sin that they don't know how to confess, Okay, as they, for so long, they'd put their hands on this lamb and say, take our sin. All of a sudden, they're not looking at Jesus and going, take our sin. They are just giving him their sin. They are sinning against God in this. They are saying, if you are God, save yourself. Right? And they're mocking him and they're ridiculing him and they're doing all these things to him. And Jesus is the lamb who they are putting their sin on at this point, right? The gross things, the meanness in them that they don't know how to get out, the crap, right? They don't, they don't know how to get that out, but they're just getting it out. These soldiers who are just, they, they strip him and they beat him and they're, they're doing all these things to him and they're just putting their sin on the Lamb of God, right? And so as they put Jesus up, the perfect sacrificial Lamb, the perfect sacrificial lamb who will take away the sins of the world. I think, I think at some point the centurion just saw this. <laughs> look at what we have done against him. Look at what we have done against him and look at the response of God. Right? This isn't a son of God like we've talked about. This is the son of God. And he goes, and for everything I have done to him, he can still look at me and say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And at that moment, he saw such profound love and forgiveness that this man was convinced 
if this is God, I believe in this. This is it. This is it for me. He didn't have much of an idea of theology at all. He didn't know about Jewish religion. He just knew if this guy's God, I'm in. (laughs) I just killed him, but I'm in. Because we have, have, we have heaped all our meanness, all our sin, all the crap that's in me, I've just given it to him. And he's responded by loving me. Right? And in the end, he just says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like he saw that that tie between the son and father was not broken. And they were figuring things out that you and I couldn't figure out. And that's how to be healed of all that crap that we just got. Because I know you and I, we haven't participated in crucifying anybody. <laughs> but we have been, we've been mean, and there's been a meanness in us that we don't even know how to get out. Like, there's times, I've been exhausted the last two weeks, I'll be honest. It's, it's totally exhausted. And I've been mean in ways that I didn't know I could be mean, right? <laughs> I'm not proud of that. <laughs> but in that, I heap my sin on the Son of God. And in in Galatians 2.20, I think this is what the centurion got. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so, this is the gospel. This is good. (laughs) Get excited about this. So, this this is the centurion going... His death is my death. He goes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So while I am killing him, I realize that his death is taking all this. And so his death is my death. So now, from now on, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the rest of my life is covered by the love of God. Why? Because I've heaped my sin and abuse on him. That's the gospel. Not because you have perfect knowledge of this stuff, but because you've realized I can give all my anger. All the, every time I've told God that he's horrible, I give that to him. And then I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. That is good. <laughs> because I don't know how to get all my crap out. It's there, it's deep, it's in me. And Jesus takes it all. And you get the opportunity to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And that, that convinced him. He was like, this guy who I just killed took it all. And I think why they share this story, we don't have a lot after this about the centurion, but I think why they share this story is most of the stories were shared, I think, in the Gospels because they were the lives of people that were still around to talk to. And that's, that's totally my guess, right? But I think, literally, I mean, I, Mary Magdalene, we talked about that too. She has such a little story before the resurrection. I think part of that is because you could still talk to Mary. And I think, I think the centurion got to see Jesus. Whether he, in life or in death, he did. So my prayer for you guys, um, especially you who don't have a history in the church or don't know a lot of this stuff, 
is to realize um, you don't have to have a history in the church. There just has to be that moment where you realize all the things um, are broken, all the things that you just need to get out, and you don't know how to get out. You can lay on Jesus, and, and he takes them and allows you to live a new life covered by his love. And that's the gospel. And that's what I'm convinced of. Pray with me and we'll worship. God, I thank you for this like eight-hour transformation we see in the centurion. A man who mocked you, killed you, and then even, even the man who killed you, even he can believe in you. God, your love is so crazy amazing. I pray that your spirit will just convince everyone here that that love can be theirs. Maybe those who at a young age were convinced that you are Jesus, that there can be a, can be a, a, a new conviction in their heart. That even us who have known you for so long, there's some stuff we still need to get out. And when we get the help, you aren't judging us. You're saying, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So I pray everyone will know that you, just, you want to cover them with your love. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.